This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, how animated was it? Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show where we're putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gavin and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izex. Hi. And this week it is the series review cap, because it's not a recap, but it's not really a review wrap up, I guess. Yes, uh, experiential uh, end point. <laughs> I think this is uh, when... Uh, Back in elementary school, this we we would write our reflections, uh, sort of a, uh, you know, journal entries or something like that. Uh, I don't remember exactly what they called it. Yeah, something around those lines. If you've all been paying attention, we have for the last little while been covering Star Trek: The Animated Series. Uh, finally, got finished with that last week all 22 episodes right in a row because it's technically two seasons but the last season is six episodes so no one cares yes <laughs> so it's effectively one season uh but it's also two seasons yeah yeah so <laughs> so this was the just for anyone who tuned into this and none of the other things for some reason this was the direct sequel to star trek the original series aired in the 70s, specifically between 1973 and 1974. Features most of the original cast. Um, everybody except Chekhov shows up again, at least in a minor role. Although Chekhov, uh, Walter, uh, Walter Canning does show up as a writer at one point, but, uh, you know. Yes, wrote an episode, but never got to voice any character at all. Alas. But of course, will show up again for future Star Trek projects, just not the animated series. Sorry, Walter, but you're going to have to wait until uh, the motion pictures, so. Okay, so, we don't have a recap to do, because there's no overarching storyline. I suppose we'll do that eventually if we ever get to an overarching storyline on a season. Well, I guess we can uh, say that the overarching storyline is that, uh, you know, the crew of the Enterprise completed their five-year mission. Yeah, they did. And then they were going to do another one, but it got lost yeah. in production, <laughs> production kerfuffles. Uh-oh. And, and that's, the, that's the story of the season. <laughs> <laughs> so, original series, animated series. What did we think? So, uh, I think it is a little hard to compare the two because there's some things that are so much the same and some things that are just so different that it's like, not apples to oranges, but I don't know, crab apples to Granny Smiths. I'm actually kind of upset in a way that original series didn't get that fourth season because they had a lot of ideas that they recycled into this and there were some legitimately good story ideas in the animated series oh much agreed i don't necessarily yeah. want to say they were good episodes but there were some very good story ideas just uh you know for various reasons they were hampered by the uh the cheapness of the uh, of this uh, what's being presented here, as well as the uh, the time limits, because if you have an idea for a, an episode that's normally about an hour long, and you cram it down in a half hour episode, it, you're going to be cutting something. You're going to be lo losing something in the of the material. Yeah, and it's it's definitely become an issue on um, a lot of what people love about original series 
and some of the stuff that I was warming up to more is the campy aspect of it. Yes. <laughs> and you just don't get that in this style of animation because there's no there's no movement. You don't get Shatner's weird facial expressions and the glances that they do between crew members and the things that actually like sell the the main three, the Spock, Kirk, McCoy triple friendship thing. Like like I'll having watched the entire thing and seen both, like they read more as friends, problematic 60s friends who I wouldn't want to hang out with. Yeah. But like <laughs> friends from that era, what they called male friendships in the 60s. Um, yeah, we, we have to have a certain amount of barrier here. Otherwise, you know, we're going to get in trouble. But uh, but we're, we're totally bros here. And it, it worked better in live action because of the way the actors could play off of each other in the animation Every time that McCoy makes fun of Spock or something, it just comes off as extra mean yep. <laughs> because he's just standing there with a wooden expression and not moving. Yeah, the same expression he'd have if, you know, someone was dying or, you know, he's here to deliver a report. You know, just like, oh, this is just kind of routine for you here. And uh, I'm just going to, you know, deadpan this here. And um, yeah, yeah, screw you, Spock. Meanwhile, uh, you know, here, uh, you know, Here's your medicine over here. I still think that McCoy's avowed racism deserves more of a critique than it gets a lot of the time. But DeForest Kelly did pull off a certain amount of I am amused at my own joke when he was picking on Spock in the live action series that you just don't get in animation. The animation, the, the look expression there is definitely something that both gives the animated series its kind of iconic vibe but it yeah it very much does lose a lot you know even beyond the the, the trio there because you know there's a lot of options that you know uh you know the other cast members you know could be sort of putting into their uh, performances there that you're just not getting either you know uh scotty being exasperated or something like that you don't really get that in the animated series here at all you know like maybe you can get a little bit from his voice, but just that still expression again, not really, no. Yeah. I mean, I will say that I'm I'm still not the biggest fan of original series. It's not my favorite. I didn't grow up with it. I don't have the nostalgic feels towards it. It borders on the so bad it's good for me. It doesn't quite hit it except for a couple of times when it's leaning into its full kind of like hilarious camp there's a few episodes that it does (laughs) the animated series is funny because it has some weird repeated animation tropes that you pick up on watching it week after week but it, it doesn't get into that so bad it's good camp vibe the same way that original series does because a lot of it is just the animation is so cheaply done. And so it's very much in the, this is pretty goofy, but not necessarily, this is so goofy, it's hilarious. Yeah, there's a few things that we made fun of because we have to like critique it every week. Like how often they do their weird hand movement facial expressions and how often they zoom in on the character's eyes when they talk for no reason. And the number of times that purple pterodactyls show up in this series. 
<laughs> oh no, these ones are plants this time. Oh no. <laughs> but all of that is more something that we get something out of as reviewers who have to sit down and review this entire thing in sequence. It's not the same thing as a campy fun episode of television. No, uh, you know, there were people that uh, did take it in at the time. You know, it wasn't, you know, uh, completely ignored or anything like that. It wasn't awfully condemned. Uh, from what I recall, uh, the, uh, it was eventually uh, canceled mainly because it wasn't getting the right demographics, not necessarily it wasn't getting any. Uh, you know, because because it, an animated show it should be, uh, you know, watched by uh, super young kids, right? Yeah, it's it's really weird to see a a cartoon show from this era a 70s era cartoon show that is so made for adults mm-hmm. like it's it's obviously not raunchy comedy or any of the other things that we think of now as adult cartoons but it's definitely not aimed at children a little bit more uh, mature audience perhaps yeah there are some complicated themes there's complex themes there's character dynamics there's some explicit sex jokes, which I know you got yeah. in children's <laughs> cartoons, but there were more of them in this. You didn't have, you know, wacky, I'm going to go steal a picnic basket or slam into a tree, George of the Jungle style animation in this. Yeah, I guess the most uh, wacky hijinks we got was the, uh, the the Practical Joker episode. And even that was, uh, well, very much, these are, are very much adult folks having to put up with someone who's being a goofball supposed to you know <laughs> it wasn't laugh track moments scotty didn't get hit in the face with a pie and then you pause for laughter scotty gets hit in the face with a pie another character giggles at it and he goes into a paranoid fit yep <laughs> so uh this is a little bit more uh, appropriate reaction as opposed to uh you know you know comedy show sort of vibe there yeah it was like as close as it got to slapstick yes but it wasn't, it was, the characters were annoyed by it instead of perturbed, which is what you get in, like, the other shows. Yes. <laughs> it's not the end of the world now, but I'm, I'm going to be a little pissed here, so. The only time that it went into full comedy was, of course, the sequel to The Trouble with Tribbles. Yes. <laughs> because that is a writer who understands how to play with the inherent ridiculousness of sci-fi yes <laughs> so we're gonna have some t- sci-fi tropes here and also it's going to uh cause mischief in just the right way to cause everyone just the right level of distress <laughs> yeah we'll get into our like favorite and least favorite things later but like that legitimately has my like favorite joke and favorite line of either series just because, like, the Tribble episodes are just well-written. They're just incredibly well-written pieces of television. And they look a little dated because we are used to a completely different style of editing in modern media than they had in the 60s and 70s. But that doesn't, like, make them bad. It's just antiquated. So I will say there were a couple of things that I feel like they did better in the animated series than they did in the original series. I kept seeing episodes in this that I think were better concepts or had a better idea. And they pulled them off about equally badly between original series and this series. Yes. Which is so <laughs> weird to see that it's it's such a monster of the week 
slightly high concept show in both and they just never know what to do with their concept by the end of the day, which is so weird to watch now when when shows have to be so tightly controlled. So uh, so we're going to have uh, an energy being that's been trapped on an alien spaceship for a while. Okay, so what do we do with that? Um, takes over our ship too. And then what? Then we abandon it somewhere. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think there were there's a couple things that reoccur uh that I think are better in this than even some of the other later series. One is just the uh diversity and design of alien backgrounds and creatures that you can get away with in animation. Yes, so uh, you know, the animation you are not so limited to the human form or how quickly you can build sets. So you really the sky's the limit as far as uh what's available. I, I think I've, you know, you know, paraphrased it before, uh, but uh, in uh, J. Michael Straczynski's uh, book on uh, uh, script writing, he sort of describes, you know, animation as, you know, it's just as expensive to draw an ex uh, exploding car as it is to draw an exploding planet. So feel free to use whichever one's more appropriate for your story. Yeah, I saw this uh, interview way back, like we did Paprika as one of the movie episodes a while ago. And uh, Satoshi Kon said that he would never work in live action because it's too slow. <laughs> so there's just a lot of stuff that you there's a lot of stuff that you can pull off in animation that you just can't in live action, or at least it would be ridiculously expensive. Yes, and uh, especially for you know the seventies here, you know having fully animatronic you know aliens that you know, have all these tentacles and actually seem realistic at all, it's just not going to be happening here. You know, at best you're going to get some guy in a, uh, a monkey suit with a, uh, you know, a big horn on or something like that. Yeah, you wouldn't um, get to, like, you wouldn't even have a consistent alien-looking alien on the bridge. Like, Spock's makeup is very minimal. And that was already pushing it for the technology of the time. Uh, by the time you get to next gen, you have an alien-looking alien on the bridge because then you've got Michael Westmore and his incredible makeup talents and some advances in makeup technologies that you got between 1960 and 1980. Things have advanced a bit uh, and uh, better techniques, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, uh, you know, options as far as, you know. Um you know, even just like the raw chemicals available, you could say, uh, as far as, uh, you know, what's, what's available for uh, doing makeup. So I liked the creature designs. The, uh, the spaceship designs were also great because you didn't have to make individual models for everything. You didn't have to figure out how you were going to, you know, film a model spaceship. You just drew whatever you felt like. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember uh, when we did Beyond the Farthest Star, Star, just how much I loved that weird insectoid uh, spaceship thing with all the weird sort of, you know, uh, modules and things like that, very loosely connected in that superstructure. And it's, you, know, you wouldn't be able to pull anything like that at all off with a model at the time. Uh, and even now, it would be kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you might as well just go, you know, CGI it instead. Now, the other thing that I loved that they kept doing, that they, they did a few times, and it barely gets mentioned, it was mentioned in like one interview that I read, is letting Ahura be in command yes. <laughs> a lot. 
you don't mm-hmm. realize she is the fourth officer. Yeah. She's in command when Scotty's gone. It goes Kirk, Spock, Scotty, Uhura. She is at she's high up there. She's got like I can't remember what she is canonically, but she's got to be at least a lieutenant commander to be holding that position. I uh, I I remember sometime during uh either the animated series or original series, uh it was mentioned she was a lieutenant of some sort, but yes. That's you know. Lieutenant lieutenant commander often just shortened to lieutenant, so. Yeah, let's see. I can look this up. And she has a first name apparently. <laughs> Hooray. I can't pronounce it. Nyota? Maybe. Nyota? Nyota Uhura. Huh. Yeah, More Lieutenant you know. Commander. Lieutenant Commander. You would never know it with how she's treated in the original series, or even most of the movies. But she gets to be in command. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, that's why she got her revenge in Bem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she <laughs> full-on told Scotty off for not mm-hmm. following regulations. Yes. <laughs> like, chill, dude. Like, they let Ahura do stuff, and it was great. A few times. There were a couple of times that they definitely tried and failed. Which, yes. I think um, that is my main my main disappointment with the show overall, is how they did have a couple things like this. They had really good ship designs. They had really good character designs. They had really interesting concepts and things like Ahura getting to actually be a badass and control the ship and school the boys but they just didn't pull off their potential in a way that they could like you were mentioning as soon as i saw the ship in the furthest star and it started becoming obvious that it was like an insectoid vessel i was like oh that thing looks like egg sacs or something like Mm -hmm. it's gonna turn out to be like a full living ship and they kept hinting at it with how the metal was grown and all this cool stuff and like oh this is so cool it's like nope energy being Standard, bog-standard yep. <laughs> energy being. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, maybe if they wanted to, uh, you know, make this a more interesting episode, you could still have the energy being. It's just, just they have to deal with the energy being in some way so that it allows the ship to hatch properly or something like that. Yeah. And then the, you know, the, this big ship you know, hatches and these aliens that have been basically you know, extinct for, you know, millions of years are able to return to the galaxy. And they're like, thank you. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, be your friends from now on sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have done so much with this concept. And I won't deny it made a really cool background. But that's all it was, was just a really cool background. So, uh, it, it, like the original series, you know, the animated series is another series where a lot of potential kind of goes to die, unfortunately. Yeah, and even the stuff with, like, Ahura in, like, Lorelei Signal... She gets to take over. She's in command. They do the whole all the men are incapacitated thing. And she has to stop. As soon as a man's around to tell her what to do, she becomes an idiot again. Hmm. So frustrating that. So again, yeah, just just overall, just a lot of potential that didn't fully get met, which is more frustrating because I feel like they had a lot more interesting potential in this than they did in original series original series did some cool things and it pushed a few boundaries and it did pretty well with some of that but they were hitting their stride here they were hitting their stride in writing and the animation was giving them a certain amount of freedom but they still had not quite figured out how to write a tv show yet which you know uh 
there were not to say that there weren't you know experienced writers uh for most of these episodes here but there's still sort of the you know general limitations um you know sort of at play here and some of that might have been gene roddenberry sort of doing his gene roddenberry best to uh make things weird sometimes monkeying with stuff and also it's it's particularly easy to forget now because we've had so many years of this since then like what's what has it been like almost 80 years since uh original series uh not quite 80 years but uh you know you know uh oh yeah six like, uh, like, like 60 50. i'm getting my math wrong yeah like 50 almost 60 so yeah math very wrong there i did math in college i was i was almost Great. a math major <laughs> i know what the difference between between 1960 and 2020 is <laughs> anyway 2021 now Cap, when you're 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 one off yeah but i round for the math because <laughs> oh <all right>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway the we're we're so used to the idea of this we kind of forget that star trek was really like the first time they tried doing any kind of serious science fiction in a television format. So they well, really had to kind of US. Yeah. <laughs> figure out how to write it. They didn't really have a good guide for how to like pull off these concepts. They were making it up as they went, essentially. Yeah, before this, there was, you know, certainly like, you know, the old serials and things like that. And of course, you know, sci-fi movies of various sorts, but those are also a very different sort of subgenre i guess or, or or medium in a way that you know you're doing a movie so it's all just one self-contained story and you take as much time to get through it as you know you need uh serial you it's all action beats over and over again and you have to get from this point to this point and have a cliffhanger here and then there's not really much as far as exploring concepts goes it's more we're doing things and we're fighting the bad guy and you know, Flash Gordon's, you know, running around, uh, you know, there's jetpacks maybe. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, so it's, it's a very different sort of vibe that they're going for with that sort of thing compared to what they're trying to do with Star Trek. Yeah, it wasn't as much action movie. Like, I, I think it has a lot more in common with something like uh, Horatio Hornblower and other sort of like ship-based island exploring things. But I see where they're taking a lot of inspiration from like contemporary westerns because a lot of star trek is slow and contemplative they aren't running in and shooting things immediately all the time they get to that eventually as you do in westerns but most of a western's runtime especially western television was talking about the problem You'd, you'd introduce a problem early on, the hero character would come in, talk about the problem, try to resolve the problem peacefully if possible, come up with a plan, and then shoot the problem. You know, someone ran off their cattle, uh, gotta get the cattle back, but who's this? It's, okay, so it's not this person, it's not this person, ah, but it might be this person, but if we go up there uh, right away, they're gonna know to run away, but uh, if we try to send in somebody to, uh, say, try to buy the cattle off of them, and we'll be sure that it's, you know, them and we can maybe get, get the cow, cows back. But, oh, that didn't work. So now we got to go and uh, go in guns blazing things. 
And also, it's still early days for general science fiction. As sort of a fan of older sci-fi pulp stuff and very, very old sci-fi stuff, um, they still hadn't quite worked out the concept to pay off even in sci-fi writing. It's like, uh, as much as I love his books, Isaac Asimov never pulled off a concept well. He introduced a lot of stuff. He had a lot of interesting ideas that got introduced. None of them ever went anywhere. I've read bits and pieces of Asimov uh, now and then. Uh, yeah, and, and some of it I rather enjoy, but there's still very much a, you know, options for like, okay, so kind of got this going on here. Now what? <laughs> yeah, a lot of... A lot of it is kind of, hey, look at this science fiction. Like, look at this cool concept. Okay, what are you saying about it? Look um, at it. <laughs> Isn't doesn't it, it just neat? blow your mind, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what if the gods were aliens that existed on another planet and came to Earth and they were actually kind of dicks? It's like, yeah, what if that? What What about it? It's like, so, no, that. Yeah, so, what so what does that mean? <laughs> what, isn't that cool? Never thought of that, did you? Well, it, it, it's kind of cool, I guess, but uh, now what? Mm. Then they die. Okay, so what was the point of that? <laughs> now we don't need gods anymore. Woohoo! Hooray! <laughs> you know, I, I guess yeah, in, that, in that particular instance, it is sort of a, trying to have a message of some sort, but it's not, I guess, a very complicated one. Or one that, I guess, really comes out of what you're presenting. Yeah, you get several versions of um, We Don't Need Gods Anymore, which is very much Roddenberry's you know, um, semi-atheistic uh, through-line coming in. <laughs> At one point, they, uh, you know, they did say they have to, you know, having one is uh, sufficient or something like that. But uh, I think that's probably the network saying, you know, can't be, you know, you know, anti-Jesus here. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's whatever version of the Hayes Code they were still running in TV. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I guess uh, as far as the, the animated series uh, goes, though, uh, was there any episode you'd say that ha uh, was able to pull off its, uh, you know, message stuff, uh, you know, uniquely well compared to the rest? I think there were, so like, there were a couple that I liked more on that side. Um, two of the favorite ones that I have written in my list here are The Survivor, when you had the imposter alien come aboard. And I did like the way that they worked with that and the imposter alien, because the imposter alien was like a victim of bad circumstances and not just an evil alien, and they yes. just took time to understand him. And then... The guy's old fiance entered into a interestingly dynamic relationship with Tentacle Alien. <laughs> that I'm having some uh, Galaxy Quest flashbacks. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that, in a modern lens, we would definitely read as some kind of queer. Yes. Uh, I don't know what kind specifically, but something. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. Uh, you know the. You know, some of the Survivor was you know definitely hokey, but that's kind of standard for the animated series here. But uh, overall, yeah, I'd say the uh, the messaging uh, kind of pulled off pretty well on that front. And the other one that I think, like the episode generally wasn't great. It had an interesting idea. The message was better. They like 
tacked it on at the end. But the magics of Mangus 2. Ah, yes. Or Tau. Whichever two. one. Yeah. So that one had a very interesting message that they kind of tacked onto the end. The rest of the episode was just weird, wacky filler. But the whole idea at the end of like, we don't believe in unnecessary punishment, even for the literal devil. It's like we stand by our, our ideals, and this is not one of them. Like he, yes. it doesn't matter who he is or what he did. He's a sentient being, and we don't do that to other sentient beings. Uh, stop trying to punish him, you know, needlessly here. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that uh, you know does is an episode that uh, pulls it off pretty well. Just yeah, you know, despite the okay, now this is happening <laughs> for most of the episode. Yeah, and other than that, there were a lot of kind of half measures, slightly slightly confusing things. I think the one that we just did, the counterclock incident, um, had the general outline of a good message mm-hmm. um, that they didn't explain well enough for it to turn yes. into a good message. So it, it could have been trying to do something awesome, but you don't really know? <laughs> yeah, the idea of... Like an older person still has a lot to contribute to society and you should respect them for their breadth of experience and knowledge is a good idea. But the way that they talked about it was not that. So half-assed implied. Yeah. I'd also say that uh, the episode before that, How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth, is a weirdly pretty good prime directive episode but not from the perspective of the crew for once. Yeah. Uh, just, you Because know, it's very much a message is, you know, so uh, it would be nice if you, you know, didn't feel you had to interfere with us, uh, you know, because, you know, we could still do, we could do things on our own, you know that, right? It's like, oh, it's, okay. <laughs> see, I had that on my list as an episode that I like because of, mostly because of the way that it deals with, a mythology and cultural ideas that are not usually explored and they let someone who knew something about those cultural ideas actually write the damned episode yes (laughs) as i feel like its message kind of fell apart because it's the same sort of we don't need gods anymore message that they've done a half dozen times already true because they even explicitly say in that episode, we used to need you when we were young, stupid savages, which unfortunately like undermines their entire cultural thing right at the end. Yeah. It's like, oh, all these primitive cultures definitely needed you, a god. We, the superior white people, are beyond that now. Thanks, though. Yeah, that's, that's I guess my big asterisk for that episode is, you know, you know if you sort of ignore that part of it it's actually a good message but unfortunately there's still that going on there it's like ugh, you, you guys are so close yeah it's it's very weird to do the reverse colonialism I, you know, are, are we going straight into uh the the, the other episodes we generally like or uh i suppose we may as well unless you had another uh interesting segue <laughs> uh, not really uh, you know there, i guess uh you know i could talk a little bit about uh, how marketing maybe uh, contributed to uh, the downfall of the animated series, but that's kind of a, a sad story that gets repeated often enough that I'm not mm. sure how, how, how much detail I can get into it uh, without just sort of sounding like a repetition of everyone else has ever talked about this. But the, the short version is, you know, you know, especially when it comes to children's uh, uh, focused, uh, you know, uh, properties, 
that if a show is no longer being appreciated by the right demographic, a TV network or whoever's in charge of it may pull the plug on it, even if it's getting very good uh, you know, uh, numbers as far as people watching it. Because if your entire point for running the show is to sell toys and your toys are geared towards, say, eight-year-olds, then it doesn't necessarily help you if 16-year-olds or, or older are watching it because they're less likely to buy you know, toys of that sort. So, you know, it stops being a money-making venture to advertise toys. And so, you, you know, it's like, oh, then this is no point in running the show anymore. So, uh, goodbye. Of course, this particular show was never used to sell toys yes. for some reason. <laughs> Everyone... Anyone who looks who's looked into the history of Star Trek toys remembers the Spock helmet. <laughs> so, it's like the 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 entire branding for Star Trek anything was take an existing toy and put a Star Trek sticker on it. Oh man, the Spock helmet just so yeah. yeah. I mean, I almost want one just for the collectability of the damn thing, but. So for for those uh, unaware of, it's like a a white helmet with a visor and a chin strap and like a big like alert light on the top, right? Yeah, it was like originally some sort of already ill-conceived kind of police officer playset thing where you had an integrated police car light and siren on top of your helmet. Yep. <laughs> and so they just took down that. The street. And put a sticker on the front that said Spock. And that was it. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so so back to the the, the cancellation there. But uh, there has been a number of shows, you know, throughout the eras of television where this sort of thing has been the the death, you know, the the, the eventual death of the of a series, and it's gotten kind of annoying. Because uh, uh, there is the because uh, there's I guess presently Teen Titans Go, but the previous animated uh, Teen Titans show can, kind of ran into the same problem. That you know uh, I think it was Cartoon Network was uh, producing it, but uh, they were you know, basically going out and realizing, oh, uh, our people that are watching our show are now getting older. Um, well, what do we do about that? Do we try to retool the show so it's you know, more fits with the uh, the demographics that are watching it, or no, we're just going to cancel it because you know, got to keep making our money in certain ways. Um, and so you get stuff that's actually pretty good suddenly getting the axe, and that's kind of as far as you know, someone who appreciates you know, you know, good stories, you know, good art and things like that. It's kind of disappointing. Uh, you know, it, I'm not, I don't want to like bitch too much on this beer, but it is a. A thing that I wish was less of a problem. I will say that this has become less and less of a problem the more that these marketing companies have discovered that 30-year-olds will still buy toys yes. for <laughs> children's television. Yes, In fact, uh, it's just made the, poise, the toys much more expensive. Yes. <laughs> for better or worse, it's now, it's, that's uh, you know, new trends going on there. Uh, now, I will also say that there has been some shows that have managed to avoid this sort of uh, 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 snarl here by actually having people behind it that realize, oh, so we are, you know, no longer a children's show because all the kids that are watching this have now grown up. Uh, the I guess the iconic one for that is actually Doctor Who, 
which early on it was mainly uh, watched by you know younger folks uh and you know the sure it was still hokey and all that and there was some uh stuff that was you know more uh you know more over there for the the older audience but you know the daleks were sort of the big hit early on and they're so scary because and they became sort of iconic you know uh you know partially because how much kids love to be afraid of them uh they're this big you know unstoppable menace and uh how are as our heroes going to uh thwart them this time sort of stuff there and uh and so doctor who sort of got a you know an early audience that was fairly you know fairly quite young at the time but as the show kept going on you know for decades <laughs> you're not going to be appealing to the same uh sort of demographics and so the series over time changed its focus as uh you know writing styles basically everything uh and is a way to sort of keep of interest to those who are watching it and sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't and but in the end it's has resulted in a epically long uh you know couple series that are very much varied and reflections of their time uh in very as, as well as who happens to be watching it and so as you know a series gets longer and longer or in the case of star trek you know has new series and things like that the focus of what's going on is definitely going to be changing as we sort of progress forward uh as well as what kind of stories are being told how they're being told as well as you know who is being sort of in, you know, the intended audience here uh and so it is kind of disappointing though that the animated series was kind of unable to sort of hit that stride uh yeah that 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 sweet spot of you know evolution not cancellation um but yeah that's how it is well it's definitely definitely way before its time as far as cartoons not explicitly made for five-year-olds yes (laughs) so uh yeah i do appreciate some uh some yogi bear occasionally but there is still uh it is nice to have something, uh, you know, these days that uh, can appeal to my sensibilities as someone who's a bit older than that uh, demographic. So, so tops and bottoms. <laughs> so, uh, given that there's only so many episodes here, and there's, I guess, a number of them that are kind of like, eh, this is maybe okay. Uh, I, I only was able to come up with uh, four uh, faves and three ugs. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know how many you had might have on your list here, but uh, I think about it, the same actually. All right. Uh, well, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and get started on on my list, and we kind of go back and forth. Uh, so my uh, uh, my phase, uh, my list starts with the jihad, um, mainly because it's kind of a fun adventure. Uh, the you know, the messaging maybe isn't super interesting, but it is uh, still a all right. So you you know throw Kirk and Spock together with some people that don't, they don't really know very well. And you basically have go and do stuff. It's not complicated uh, on that end. There is the the, uh, the 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 ideas about you know we got to do this because of this reason sort of stuff. And it kind of reminds me of a tabletop adventure, honestly. Uh, <laughs> you know, so we're going to be playing D and D, except you know Star Trek now. Um, you know uh, we got uh, you know Kirk as our paladin. We got this lizard guy as our fighter. Uh, we got ourselves a rogue. It's all good, right? 
Yeah, I really did enjoy that. That was one that almost made my top list. I was considering it. It got pulled down a little bit for me just by the arbitrariness of so much of it. Yeah. And <laughs> they, they had a good set of characters there. They even had a guest voice actor. Um, and they played well with each other, but they just didn't let them, which is why I didn't like it quite as much as I wanted to. Because you could have a really fun group party dynamic episode but they didn't like anyone in the party they didn't let them play off of each other they each had like one half of the scene i think this would be an episode that would have uh, done very well with the uh the uh a full hour you know the but yeah half hour yeah it's you know falls into the good but limited by the medium yeah it's something that they still haven't really pulled off in star trek particularly well at all yet which is playing into something more like that oceans 11 style um episode they tried to do it like once in ds9 and it was it it sort of worked it's not my favorite it's an interesting episode they still just haven't pulled it off as well as they could and i feel like it's something that they could given how strong of characters they usually can do in star trek so uh, do you want to do, do one from your list there my my main top one and one of the ones that I hadn't particularly mentioned on this side was more tribbles, more troubles. Oh, hey, that's on my list, too. <laughs> because that's that's just both all the tribble episodes are good. This one really also did lean into stuff that you can do in animation that you couldn't do in the other series. The giant tribbles. Yes. <laughs> you wouldn't have been able to pull that off. And the way that the tribbles actually move and the comedy with the tribble predator and there's some legitimately clever writing in this. The way that, like, every time Kirk returns to his chair, there's a larger and larger Tribble sitting in it. Until it's just gotten to the point where it takes over and he gives up. Yeah, it's like, I can't move this anymore. Dang it. <laughs> and then legitimately my favorite line in either this or original series is when they go to the Klingon ship. And the Klingon engineer says, we're having trouble with the engine room. It is filled with Tribble. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's both true and also hilarious. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I have to uh, agree. Uh, you know, seeing the, the Tribbles move about, get huge, even when they popped, even though that was kind of a, uh, a cheap effect there, uh, it is, uh, you know, very much a... You got stuff here you wouldn't be able to do in you know, you know live action stuff, and you're doing it very well is you know for, for to help enhance the comedy. So so bravo to you guys. And even as far as the messaging goes, they're really leaning into what they set up with the first Tribble episode, which is these things are an ecological disaster. Yes. And the Klingons are like trying to deal with it, and then their thing gets stolen. So like. They they actually like it's hidden in there with all of the comedy, but it's not a bad storyline all the way through. They even just right. resolve it immediately. Like they don't have to fight the Klingons or do anything weird. The Klingons want their thing back, and they have a legitimate claim to it. And Kirk agrees. It's like okay, well uh, we'll get this sorted then. All right. Uh, also uh, here has some troubles. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, next on my list is, uh, yesteryear. Uh, it is, uh, that episode, uh, where, uh, Spock goes back in time because of, uh, he got himself erased by hit from history again. 
They do that a lot. Guess, yes. <laughs> I, I think uh, some of the reasons I liked it wasn't necessarily for the, the totality of it, but it had some good stuff that I think worked very well. Uh, you know, young Spock being, you know, sort of, you know, you know giving us insight into the character and sort of what he has, you know, had to put up with when he was growing up, uh, as well as, you know, how he's changed since then is kind of nice. Uh, the fact that they decided to actually go there and have, you know, his pet die and it actually be a thing that stuck. You know, there's no uh, magical resurrections here. I think that is kind of you know, amazing as far as, uh, you know, uh, on television at this time. And, and to uh, get a better feel of what Vulcan is like, you know, sure, most of it's sort of night shots and that's all fairly dark. It is still sort of helps us get more, uh, you know, more of a vibe of what this, this planet's like, what these people are like, uh, and sort of the social dynamics as well. Uh, and, uh, it, it's, it's, it's also these sorts of good details that are sort of helping with the world building. I just love so much. Yeah. It was a tiny bit hokey for me to include on my full list, but it was one of my favorite ones. And I liked all of that. I, it's a really interesting dynamic that they are able to do with Spock, especially tying in his character from the original series, since this is only the second episode of the animated series. Um, the way that they show Spock as a completely self-reliant character who had to grow up alone, separated from two cultures, and having a literal storyline personification of that be that he winds up being his own mentor. Which is both an interesting character dynamic and kind of sad. Yeah, uh, poor guy's kind of isolated and uh, kind of sucks, you know? So what's next on your list? Oh, the next one of mine is one we talked about a little bit already, which was The Survivor. Yes. Um, I loved the alien design, the, the weird tentacle alien. It's animated better than it has any right to be, given oh, yes. <laughs> the way that they do this show generally. It, it actually moves. I'm kind of surprised. I guess that's where their animation budget for the season went. Well, uh, they had like $75,000 for each episode. So, uh, you know, maybe we didn't notice, but maybe everyone talked less or something. <laughs> and then the overall, the overall storyline that they did is we figure out that we have this imposter alien on board and we solve the situation not by killing the imposter alien, but by talking to them, figuring out they're being manipulated by the Romulans, giving them a better deal on our side, and then they decide to go with it because they were just lonely. I want some friends. Other things, you know. So, uh, yeah, so uh, not being put in prison is nice. And the interesting shape change things... They did a lot. They did some interesting stuff with the shape changing that I don't think they often explore when they have a shape shifting alien, and even in Star Trek. And the thing that I just—that's my favorite dumb detail of the series—that Kirk knows how many beds are in sick bay and McCoy doesn't. Yes. <laughs> like McCoy, I know you're you're like drinking a lot just generally, but. How many beds do you normally keep in here? Just, just a general estimate. <laughs> McCoy, how many sick beds do you have? I don't know. I've never been in this room before in my life. I'm a doctor, not a doctor. <laughs> well, maybe at that point, uh, you know, Kirk should have started uh, 
wondering if also McCoy was a changing as well. <laughs> that would have been better. That would have been hilarious. It's like, oh my god, you have an extra bed. Oh, you're right. It's like, no, we don't. <laughs> hmm. What a twist. <laughs> Uh, but last on my uh, list here is uh, one of our planets is missing, um, mainly because uh, it actually kind of uses some science, and I always kind of appreciate that. Uh, the uh, they, you know they're sort of going in there. It's like oh, we're sort of doing a you know uh, you know fantastic voyage thing for a uh, for our cloud alien of the week, uh, and we're uh, sort of giving some details about what it's what's up on this interior here. It's like, oh, and then, like, hey, we got some antimatter out there. We need to make sure we don't hit that. And then, you know, later, they're like, oh, maybe we could use that antimatter that's sort of over there we noticed earlier. Okay. And then, there you go. You resolve the plot. <laughs> and so, it's, it might not be a very, very complicated episode other than that. But uh, it also kind of has uh, a, a the, you know, the, we talked about this uh, when we did the, uh, you know, covered it there. Uh, the evacuation plan of the, of the planet uh, that's going to be uh, eaten soon. That you know they are going to do all they can, and they're going to be uh, you know, and they basically double check to make sure that the person in charge is actually going to be able to uh, pull off the evacuation. It's like, yeah, this is someone that we've met before, and they're quite competent. So yeah, we're going to sort of let them do our their thing as we try to figure out the main problem here. Yeah, and I also really liked how. I struggle with the term, but it's slightly harder science fiction than you get with this sometimes because they did sort of do a like, okay, we have a large energy being that lives in space and feeds off of inorganic matter in space. How does that function? Like it needs to create energy in the same way that other living organisms do. So since it lives in space, it might produce internal antimatter and then combine that with the matter that it's ingesting and use that to create its energy source. It's a form of space digestion. And all of that makes a certain amount of sense, given the logic of the show that we've set up scientifically. Now, now as a, a physicist, I will, I could maybe point out the various ways that wouldn't work, but this is Star Trek, the animated series. I'm not expecting them <laughs> to have all the details down. <laughs> Especially since antimatter, as we understand it, was still kind of a new concept, you know, you know, a few decades old now, but uh, still sort of one of those things that, you know, getting good, reliable information on, you know, was maybe not, you know, as far as how it interacts with stuff, maybe not one of the first priorities, uh, just that, oh, when this plus this equals energy. Okay, so we're good enough here for our TV uh, writers. The only thing that I didn't particularly like about it was, again the really simplified, just quick, and it's done ending. Because yeah. you, you could have a somewhat interesting thing here of like, we have this unique creature that we don't want to have to kill. Maybe we could figure out a way to get it to understand what we need it to do. Like, it's about to kill a bunch of people. Maybe it is sentient. Maybe we can figure out a way to communicate with it or trick it away from the planet, or something. Instead, they're just like, we can psychically connect with it, and it's just as sentient as we are, and speaks English, in fact. Oh, well, that's convenient. Hmm. Well, um, I guess we just solved this without too much trouble. Yeah, back to the empty void with you. 
<laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, that sort of super sped up ending. Yeah, w- once again, there's a lot of potential here. Uh, Would have been done better in a, a full hour. So yes. So I had another one that we've already mentioned a little, which is the magics of Mangus Two. Because it's an interesting idea of just like go to another dimension and now magic is real and everything's based on magic. Now, they don't actually go into what that means or how it works or much. (laughs) It is kind of an interesting one of like all of our technology stops working because that's not how shit works here. Yeah. (laughs) The rules of physics are different. Uh, So, uh, you know, electronics don't work, but, uh, you know pentagrams do i guess yeah. and while they didn't they couldn't do it well on their animation budget the wizard duel between you know kirk and asdra mudstead modius there um is pretty cool uh and the like i already said the message that they do in the end of it is good if tacked on yes <laughs> also super no. sexy devil man <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you do realize he's not wearing pants the entire time, right? <laughs> so uh, I, that was, uh, you know, more troubles, more troubles with the last item on my uh, favorite list. Uh, and then a whole lot of, uh, eh, this is all right, or eh. uh, I do have a few that's like, oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, um, I threw on Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth as my final one, just because it's the first time that they've really even attempted to deal with indigenous cultures in an interesting or good way. Uh, and I feel like that, like adding, um, like Lieutenant, uh, running bear there was good to pull them out of the colonialist hole of the episode. It worked out, but, uh, it, yeah, we're at least going to have the perspective of someone, uh, from a native culture here to talk about stuff. And, uh, you know, they actually know what they're talking about. Yeah. So hooray. <laughs> they still had a couple of dumb colonialist ideas in there like we just talked about. But overall, I think it was a really good step forward in what they were trying to do storytelling wise for Star Trek, especially moving into Next Generation, which were, is only about 10 years off at this point. Uh, yeah, 10, 10, 15, somewhere in there. I think exactly when TNG started. But yes, so. TNG is still a bit off of the future, but it's not that far in the future. So I uh, w- want to hear uh, my, my UG list real quick. Yeah, your UG list. Now, it isn't because the episodes are necessarily, you know, god-awful or anything like that, but uh, there's maybe something in it that just kind of bugged me. So uh, the first on that list is Once Upon a Planet, because Uhura is in the place where they need to be and is a capable person and could have maybe, you know, been instrumental in solving all of this. But nope, they have to wait for Kirk to show up in order to solve the problem. Yeah, I cannot stand Damsel in Distress Sahara. So uh, I, I did like some other aspects of the episode, but that just kind of ruins it for me. Uh, the next one is uh, the time trap, which once again has some cool stuff going on here. But it's such a missed opportunity that they encountered this... A unique society in the time void place there that you know features folks that normally don't give get along getting along and they don't take any much time to sort of uh, examine what this you know could mean and maybe that there's a way to sort of uh you know uh come to terms with the Klingons and you know uh, and and be friends like you know the Organian said back in the day uh you know 
So there, there's a lot of implications about this is a, a possibility here, but we're going to be talking about the sabotage plot instead, most of the episode. Uh, so the sabotage plot stuff was okay, uh, but still uh, just such an, a missed opportunity. Yeah, you wind up in a place uh, that is the literal ideal of the Federation, yes. and you don't explore it at all. Yes, it's like, well, this is sort of here. That's neat. Moving on. <laughs> uh, and uh, the the third one on my list is uh, the Lorelei signal. Because um, it's kind of a baffling episode on a number of fronts. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the weird sexism is kind of annoying. So, no, I do appreciate uh, Hura being in charge of the ship. Yeah, I have Lorelei signal except for Commander Hura. Yes. <laughs> Because uh, it's like, all right, so uh, now all the men are, are basically enthralled here. And that's just kind of a universal thing that happens, I guess. And um, these ladies are here to prey on them. And yeah, this is just getting awkward. And that their entire conflict is based on the fact that they can't have children. Like, so what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, Sometimes, we yeah, live yeah. forever and we don't age and we have perfect health. We have to feed on men occasionally to survive, but that's not too bad. But babies, I miss babies. Babies, yeah, that's that's all we're about here. Yeah, it's like number one, you know, number two being the 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 feeding on people thing. So my main, like, I had Lorelai signal on my UG list as well. Um, One that I had was, I this is a critique that I could levy at a lot of these episodes, but for me. Uh, Pirates of Orion was kind of just the ultimate distillation of a nothing episode. Yes, like that is true. They do nothing for most of the runtime. They don't explore the core conflict even slightly. They fix the. Th- they introduce a problem in the last thirty seconds of the episode and fix it in the last twenty seconds of the episode. Yep. <laughs> So it's kind of a a nothing burger of an episode, yes. Yeah, it's a complete nothing episode, even to the fact that they spend a good 10% of the runtime of the episode on a completely different ship with completely different characters. You don't give anything, any any craps about it all. Just looking back and forth at another ship going, still there? Yep, still there. Yep. How about now? Yep, yep still there. We're trying to have some tension here, guys. Is it still there? Yep. <laughs> And so, like, that is a lot of these episodes. Basically, every episode we didn't talk about was kind of a, eh, might have done something half interesting, but, like, meh. And this is just the ultimate nothingness of an episode. Yes. Uh, The other one that I had on my list was Mud's Passion, because, uh, one, I've never liked Mud as a character. I've, I've never seen the appeal of Mud as a character at all. I don't feel like they're pulling off the swindly space swashbuckler guy, even slightly. He's just annoying. And the episode, not only does it have, like, a weirdly sexist plotline to begin with, with the love potion thing, but it's just pulled off in such a confusingly muddled, nonsensical way that the episode itself doesn't even make a lot of sense most of the way through. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, there's also sort of the, uh, the the thing where it's like, oh, these are fake love crystals. Wait, they work? Wait, huh? <laughs> yeah, they're fake love crystals that work inconsistently sometimes 
and do different things to everyone also make you stupid. Yes. Yeah, so uh, they, they are plot convenience crystals of whatever. Yeah. Though I will say, I did, <laughs> I did enjoy, I did completely enjoy how, because of the budget animation, they needed to put an air vent in the transporter room, and they just shoved a picture of an air vent onto the transporter pad where it has no logical place being and is even at the wrong angle for what part of the floor it's on. <laughs> so uh, we just need to slap this on here. There we go. It looks great. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. It looks great. <laughs> so yeah, that's... I mean, I think we've done... That's the animated series. A lot yes. of very meh forgettable episodes... A couple of particularly bad why did I sit through this episodes and a decent amount, a surprisingly decent amount of, oh, this is an interesting concept. Where are they going with this? Oh, nowhere. Yes. <laughs> so it's a, a series that is full of potential and it remains full of potential. Also, I just I enjoy how everyone ignores this as a series because they ignored it in the writing. And now it completely breaks all semblance of continuity. Yes. <laughs> Though for a while it was taken out of continuity, uh, you know, due to weird rights things in the uh, early TNG days. Um, however, it's kind of back. And also, you know, even before then, it was kind of creeping back in various ways. Like, you know, stu you know stuff mentioned in uh, Yesterday shows up in Enterprise, for instance. Uh, and it's, and there's a lot of various references that come back to the animated series, you know, you know, from, uh, now and then that it's like, all right. So even if this is not officially canon, it's canon enough. And once again, kind of going back to canon only matters as much as you want it to, you know, this is, that's good enough, you know? So, uh, don't worry too much about it. <laughs> so, okay. I have my idea of this, but overall... Would you recommend people watch this? Uh, I'd say at least give it a one watch through. Uh, it's, you know, 22 episodes, about a half hour each. You know, that's not a huge amount of time if you're doing a binge watch. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say give it a, a go. And, uh, you know, you won't like every episode, but you might get enough out of it and have some fun along the way. Yeah. Yeah, I would say if you are a major Star Trek fan, if this is like the only Star Trek series you haven't seen... You'll enjoy giving it a watch through. If you're a minor Star Trek fan, maybe look up the tri the Tribble episode, just and, because uh, it is funny and it's a direct sequel to the Tribble episodes. Yeah, and if you like that, then maybe you'll want more. If not, then that's fine. Yeah, I think that that's probably the best place to start if you want to see whether or not it's something you'll enjoy. Because even if you don't gel with the animation style and you don't like the way that they write the thing, it's still a funny episode. Yes. <laughs> now, I am uh, a little surprised neither of us had the Infinite Vulcan on there. But then again, given how we sort of uh, reviewed at the time, it's kind of understandable. But uh, people might be wondering, uh, you know, why it's not on our UG list. Yeah, because it's just doesn't do much it might be silly but there's a lot of silliness in the animated series as well on other episodes i honestly so, thought it was one of the better episodes yeah. <laughs> given all the other things that have happened in this series <laughs> true uh and uh it's you know a 
the, the concept of giant people is very silly, but it is still, you know, what they're doing with it otherwise, yeah, it's, it's actually fairly solid. So, yeah. Nice. So, this is the end of Watches of Tomorrow Season 2, which covers the animated series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get into what I'm debating whether to call an interlude or Season 3, where we cover all of the original series Star Trek movies. Uh, it's going to be a di- slight, uh, we're going to have to work it out. It's, it's probably going to be coming out a little more slowly because they're going to be harder to write and edit and do all the things to because they're all movies. Yes, a little bit more uh, effort on our part here. Uh, but before we get to the Star Trek movies, there is a something that I kept I kept debating for myself. I kept going back and forth on this because there is a lot of debate amongst the community whether or not this counts as science fiction. But going through the history of sci-fi, and especially the number of times I have mentioned the drastic change in editing styles that happened between the 70s and 80s. We just have to take this into account and be able to talk about where this movie falls in the overall history of science fiction as a genre, because it is a genre-defining piece of sci-fi media, even if you don't completely agree that it is science fiction. A linchpin, an inflection point of uh, the trajectories. So next time, after a short break for us to get our heads combobulated again after all of this, we are going to be covering the original Star Wars. Tell me to stop when you realize. Now, the original, original Star Wars, which was just called Star Wars, later called Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. So, yeah, it's. I still am debating my sci-fi things. I'm getting to the point where I don't think sci-fi is a useful, useful genre definition at all because it is just a setting. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it probably counts if it's just a setting. Yeah. You know, uh, I guess we could maybe have a, a you know number of discussions about various things that may be necessary for that setting as well. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, to a certain extent, I think you're right. Uh, but there is, but is it only setting? Could you have sci-fi through other means? Hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of an issue, isn't it? it's not a useful genre definition but here we are so yeah next time Star Wars because debate it all you want it is the single most influential piece of media to happen in the last 50 years yes Um, should we call this this next bit of uh, episodes for us uh, the intermezzo sure (laughs) alright that means I get to sing some more hooray So join us next time for what you could possibly consider a massive departure from science fiction on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, that's no classic serial, it's a space epic! have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, 
Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>